am Maureen of Chicago. I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we, we are, are burdened with, with a glorious, glorious podcast. podcast. Welcome back to the show where we talk about our favorite trickster god, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. And folks, it has been a while since we've done one of these episodes, but we now finally have Loki-adjacent content to talk about. I was I was just about to say, except this episode is not actually about our favorite trickster god, Loki. <laughs> no, it's about his brother, Thor, because we are talking about Thor, Love, and Thunder out in theaters, and... Ah, my mind has, like, shifted a lot about this movie, and apparently it has for a lot of other people, too, because uh, I don't know if you read a lot of uh, film Twitter, Megan, but this movie is a <laughs> lot more divisive than Ragnarok was. In fact, a lot more critics and fans are starting to have the same complaints that I had with Ragnarok of uh, Taika. They see it as more of him being overly indulgent, rather than understand these characters and focusing way too much on outdated or cringe humor and awkwardness. And I just want to know if you agree. You know, to be honest, I don't. Um, and maybe that, on the other hand, maybe it was because I was too busy sitting here being like, I can't believe that this movie has all the same stupid beats that they put in all of these, all of these movies, except this one actually saw a bunch of it through to its logical conclusion. How so? Well, I mean, the biggest one that stood out to me is that I truly feel like Gore is the only one, is the only villain they've really done in a while other than like, I mean, I've heard that Ghost and Ant-Man, they sort of did something except she wasn't that bad to begin with, something like that. I, mm -hmm. I haven't seen that one. I've just heard about her. <laughs> um, but basically it was... It was really gratifying to see that they did the sob story flashback and have that actually mean something to the plot, other than this is his motivation, but don't worry about any of that. He's bad now. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I really, really appreciated Gore as a character, and it was really, it, to me, it was really striking how much just doing that makes that work so much better. <laughs> you know, if, if you're going to introduce the sob story background, you know, make it mean something. And I think they actually did with him. And it was actually part of like a whole through line. And also, okay, uh, you know what? You would know this better than I would. But I, I had, I had a thought about this later today. Um, so just, just to clear this up for one thing. I actually saw this movie literally today. We are recording this on, is today the, the 18th or the 19th? Uh, Today's the 18th. 18th. Okay, yeah, it, it's already been out for 10 days. I ended up, um, it took me a while to see this because I've been really busy at work. And also, uh, I know movies are expensive everywhere. Movies are really expensive in New York. <laughs> And I, I ended up actually like sifting through and at first I was like, oh, I'll go to Cobble Hill because it's only 14. Oh, I'll go to this one because if I go early enough, it's 12. Oh, I don't want to go there but because it's, it's Times Square, you know, so on and so forth. Until finally it turned out that Angelica 123 Center on, uh, I guess it's like just at the beginning of what you would consider the Upper East Side, still has what they call Wake Up which is like a $10 movie that you can see at like 1130 in the morning. And I was like, okay, cool. And for one thing, um, this particular theater was a little bit of an adventure <laughs> just because I, I can only assume that they were only able to operate this legally because there is a Bloomingdale's right across the street that has public bathrooms. But long story short, I got there and there was a sign saying like, uh, hey, we had to turn off, like, our entire water system because they have to inspect it for something. So we don't even have bathrooms. And the only things that we can sell at the concession today are, you know, anything that's, like, dry and prepackaged. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, all right, I, I just... I just hurried out of a Starbucks three blocks away. I'm just here to see a Thor so we can do an episode. <laughs> um... And, you know, on top of that, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm really just trying to, like, 
give some establishing color for this. <laughs> I know that this is technically irrelevant to seeing the movie. Um, I I really don't know what was going on with this place because I know it's I know it's kind of like. I think it might be where this film center puts all of their non-art house stuff or something like that. But I do know that the floor that I had to walk across on one of the hallways, after going up a bunch of stairs with my cane that I unfortunately have to use now uh, due to an exacerbated injury. Long story short, it, it the surface of this floor under the carpet it looked like I was walking across like a sand pit, like th- like there was a sand pit under this carpet. <laughs> so this is like it, it was that it was like that weird and like almost like rushed looking. I I do not know if this was something that was originally built in on purpose for effect or what, but it was it was a hell of a time just getting to this movie. <laughs> and I don't mean this is a big criticism of Angelica Film Center because it looks like they're working on like fixing up the space and all that. So that's, that's fine. I I completely get that that's a thing that can happen, but it really set the whole, the tone for like the whole experience (laughs) of like, well, it's going to work, but, um, but anyway, okay. So getting back to why I was like, I thought about this just today. It was because I saw the movie just this morning. And so it's kind of been on my mind and it suddenly clicked with me. You would know this better than I, because you have actually seen these movies. But, and maybe I, maybe I misunderstood something, like, they might have said something about this, and I'm just, like, wrongly calling myself a genius for this. But, is there a chance, do you think, that, uh, the famine that was kind of the start of Gore's slide into desperation... Do you think that might have had anything to do with uh, Thanos getting rid of half the food everywhere? You know, now that you mention it, that would be a really great continuity nod. Well, the main reason I wonder about that is, I mean, for one thing, I don't think it's relentless fan wankery to wonder something about that, you know? (laughs) But But it also just hit me that, you know, I feel like, I feel like had this been happening a long time ago, there would have already been like distress signals and stuff about this. So the fact that this is just now becoming like a, you know, oh God, this guy, he's, he, he's out there and he's killing everybody. Somebody get this wild guy out of here. You know, that, that seems to me like this is something that has only recently really started picking up frightening speed. And that would really check it. I mean, and also that would also parallel the timeline of um, of the Necrosword kind of eating him to how, you know, Jane didn't even realize she had cancer until it was too late. Well, I mean, I don't you, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh According to interviews and the wiki page, uh, the reason why Jane didn't know exactly how long it was since she had broken up with Thor was because she was one of the victims of the snap. Oh, I I assumed that when he when he mentioned it. I'm I'm not that I'm not that out of the loop here. But that um, but yeah that that just kind of made me wonder like, you know. For one thing, that was probably also, you know, by default, that would have killed off, you know, half of his people. So that would have explained why it was already dwindling so badly out there. I mean, they lost half of their maintenance force and all that. And then, you know, but he also would have taken, you know, if it was half of every living thing, then I mean, you know, there goes their goddamn food supply. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of made me wonder, like, you know, was, was this actually, like, you know, is this something else that we can ultimately blame on Thanos? Of course we can. <laughs> yeah, what? You know what? I mean, because you know what? There we go. I think that actually, just with what I know about Thanos, makes for a great comparison. You know, because who cares what Thanos's backstory is when they never really trade on it again, from what I understand. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like, you know that that's what his motivation is. And meanwhile, this actually ended up being like the through line of the entire climax of the movie. But if we're talking about uh, Thanos and villain's motivation, uh, I definitely well don't don't you think it's just a little bit of an ass pull to say, oh, our villain wants this. <laughs> magic wishing well that can grant any wish to whoever gets there and you like you would think if it's been there all along there would be way way more villains like thanos who want to get to it yeah i mean but i mean here's kind of what it comes down to this is we're we're kind of unfortunately at the point where this is just working exactly like the comics that it's based on where that stuff like this gets introduced and it's just like, all right, so now we got to deal with this. Hmm. It, it does it does make a lot of sense. Although, you know, theoretically, I guess, I can't believe I'm making excuses for this kind of thing, because this is almost more of like a general Marvel problem. You probably could make some kind of excuse that this might have been something that he heard about from, you know, some gods that he was killing butchering true but i just feel like that would have worked if they'd like i've actually shown it rather than tell us yeah no i mean that yeah that's that's the kind of thing where like i'm i'm fine with that but honestly i i gotta admit there were times when despite me just thinking about like and there's something else that we can blame on (laughs) big big purple idiot but um (laughs) Aside from that, my, uh, honestly, despite me bringing that up, my first thought was just, honestly, I liked the fact that this felt like it didn't have shit to do with shit. Like, I'm so, I'm so tired of cinematic universes, except for, like, certain parts of Star Wars, that at this point, I was just like... I really like that this feels like something weird that could have come out in the year 2000. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, going back to Gore, uh, I mean, I liked him too. I think he's a great villain, but I just feel like he could have done so much better in a movie with just a bit more serious tone, as did Jane, based on the stories, they're based on their stories and what they're losing. And it really doesn't help at raising the stakes to show that he only kills one god and it's like yeah you would think that there would be like just like a rampage just a montage of like people and like heads rolling oh yeah yeah no i mean i i i agree on that one yeah um and it's frustrating because gore has great character motivation but the movie just isn't interested in examining why he would feel justified and killing all the gods other than their two-dimensional parodies of kings and the ruling class. And the gods other than Thor are hedonists. I mean, that seemed like the point, though. That struck me as the literal point. Right, but here's the problem with that. It's like we get two scenes of gods acting arrogant and then nothing after that and it made me want to root for gore because clearly it wasn't a priority to make the case for why god should continue to exist i i think that that was probably intentional i really got the feeling that that was completely intentional and especially considering that you know the ones that you see not caring about gore going on a rampage are doing it specifically because this happening to other gods that don't hang out with them and you know orgy city or whatever you know that's not their fucking problem their their problem is fucking and where they're going to get more of it um like that you know so i think that that was i think that that was actually like that struck me as very literally the point that it's supposed to be that you know as this is that in that in the fairly noticeable fact that and once again i just I know he wasn't a very deeply developed character, but I'm grateful for what we got. <laughs> Compare him to Malekith. Okay, yes, clearly at point taken. Yeah. But but yeah, at no- what I was what I was gonna say is that what I think was particularly noticeable 
in that whole thing and, and as far as the consistency there goes is that even when he is just necrosorted off his ass and is you know I mean and I think that they actually did a pretty good job I mean and some of this might have just been the fact that Christian Bale's a really good actor and we already knew that mm-hmm. and Honestly, it is really impressive how much he disappears in this, considering that they, how much they didn't completely wrap him in stupid CGI bullshit. <laughs> um, but what really got me about this is was when it finally clicked with me. He'll kidnap the children. He'll terrify these children. But the children are just bait. On some level, he still doesn't want to kill the children. And once that really, and once that stood out to me, it was just like, oh, thank God we have some consistency here. <laughs> this guy's character makes sense. <laughs> the villain makes sense. He's not just there. <laughs> he means something to the plot. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, the fact that he has so many well-written traits just makes other things that much more prevalent to me and it's like at no point does thor even try to persuade gore that there are gods who do show mercy or like not all gods or like or even just having thor have an internal conflict of it dawning inside him that by saving people weaker than him he's really just an outlier of the gods and that's like a very cold comfort and i would love to see more of like gore's actions meaning something to thor to really like link hero and villain right i mean i i definitely uh i definitely thought that that was kind of supposed to be like the realization that they both hit at the i mean you know that part of it is just you know, Thor moving toward a point of selflessness that it doesn't even occur to him to desperately argue that he's different. It's more just like, stop hurting these fucking children. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was what it was. And then at the end, you know, it hits Gore pretty hard and immediately to realize like, oh yeah, no, this, this guy is the real deal. I have a... Uh... I have a similar problem with uh, Love and Thunder I did with Ragnarok, and granted, this could be really uh, a problem of much of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that is, let the audience mourn, damn it, and like, how high can the stakes really be if the characters will find any excuse to make a quip or a zaner? Really? Because I thought this movie was just drenched in grief. I mean, that's the thing, is like, Yes, obviously there are lots of moments. Well, of grief, well I mean, but... not just that, but the fact that like it felt like, you know, you know, Jane having cancer was never once played for any kind of joke. Yes, and I do respect them for that. It's just that it just has a very uneven balance of tone of like, yes, obviously they made the right choice and they had to like, give her story weight like that but also like how does her accepting her own mortality get connected to screaming goats you know meanwhile i'm over here with like as i told you because i i kept talking about how there was so much in this movie that just kept like thematically and sometimes like down to needle drops resonating with stuff that I've written for these characters as a fan before was I was saying like, well, you know, the real reason that you could tell that this was like an official thing and not something that I was in charge of is the fact that when they show the, the very last title card after the end of the credits, there's not a stinger King of the Hill style that's just a screaming goat. <laughs> okay. Because that's probably what I would have done. It's just, you know, cuts to the last Marvel... It cuts to the last Marvel logo, and then there's one more... Ah! <laughs> okay, see... Have you ever been to a goat farm? They do that. <laughs> I know they do that because I've been on Tumblr since 2011, and that was the last time I laughed at screaming goats. <laughs> <laughs> because the well has run dry. We've all... 
know what a goat screaming sounds like. And here it's like, oh, you liked that the first time? Here's 15 more times. I mean, they're giant goats. What else are they going to do? I mean, you know, if, if they're putting in giant goats, I don't know. I think it's probably better that they did the screaming joke instead of the, oh, they keep eating everything and then pooping it out joke. Well, I mean, Thor could have told it. Thor could have seen them and say, you know, this reminds me of one time my brother Loki saw a goat. <laughs> Do we really need to deal with the barrage of, this is what that reference meant? <laughs> Google exists. People can look it up if they don't know what we're talking about. <sighs> we, we refuse to be the, here's what that was referencing article ourselves. <laughs> I mean, hey, at least there was one thing that I that, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that you were uh, that you were actually wrong about. And that was that um, there were no jokes when uh, when Thor saw the body of the big <laughs> Leviathan god guy. I forget his name. That yes, guy. I, again, I respect them for exercising restraint on that front. A lot of... Uh, our opinions on the last two Thor films are really indicative of our writing style and like how we've been writing Thor and Loki in uh, RP boards or fan fictions for basically a decade now. And when you get in their headspaces for as long as we have, you have very distinct specific ideas of what they would say, what music they would listen to. And we have very different ideas on Thor and Loki and what they would do and act. <laughs> like, for me personally, uh, if I were the director of the Thor saga, the soundtrack would not be Guns N' Roses, it would be Nightwish. Meanwhile, I, I literally had a Welcome to the Jungle needle drop. <laughs> and there in, you go. <laughs> in, uni in universe, with loudspeakers, uh, on a ship. Full confession, uh, I am not afraid to admit that part of my bias against this movie is that I have never liked Guns N' Roses because when I was 11 years old, I wanted to listen to the Spice Girls and the soundtrack to Titanic and my brother had just gotten to Sam Goody and gotten Appetite for Destruction on CD and he would play that album every goddamn day at full volume. <laughs> I mean, I I also, if if anything, I think that this might actually be a better demonstration of the spiritual affinity I have for this movie, than more so than the actual song in common. But you know, this was this was also the same RP board that had a you know, it had in universe "Don't Stop Me Now" playing in a jeep, being driven across the Bifrost. You see, I have a much easier time picturing Queen used in Thor shenanigans rather than Guns N' Roses, but that's just me. <laughs> well, you know, they, they were clearly just going for the, you know, 80s hair metal vibe in general. But I mean, I, well, okay, but you know what really killed me, even though I know that I am not the only person who's ever used this, but I did come up with this independently when I did. And that was, I can't believe that they finally canonized the term Space Viking. Oh, let it be known, listeners. My friend Megan was the first person to coin the term Space Vikings to refer to Thor and Loki. And that was over a decade ago. I don't know if I was the first, but I do know I came up with that independently. That was how I just started. I, I had some kind of, it was, I was blogging about something else. And it got me a lot of followers at the time. And I was like, I, I need you guys to know that when you come around here, it's mostly this one vampire musical and space Vikings. <laughs> you know, that this isn't as representative as you think it is. And then, yeah, and then that just became one of my, that just became like my general Thor stuff tag was space Vikings. Another one of my issues with his films and... There were parts about this I like. I am getting to them. But uh, I have never liked Korg. 
and I felt they had the perfect excuse to kill him off for good, to show things really escalating by offering the comic relief. But no, he survives and is more useless than ever as almost literal dead weight. And it got me thinking today, it would make so much more sense to just replace Korg. Like, if you're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie, you'd think it would make way more sense to have Star-Lord as Thor's Tegalon companion, so that way the two could bond over losing the woman they love to cancer. I mean, I get that, but you know what? On the other hand, I kind of appreciated the fact that Korg was just sort of there along for the ride. I mean, I didn't actually get the impression that he was the replacement Loki like I was worried about, because he was just kind of chilling out. <laughs> He wasn't even quipping much. He was just pointing things out. <laughs> That's the thing. That is, I was just about... I mean, I was going to say that, like, I mean, honestly, my main worry about, about the, about, you know, the heavy cord presence was going to be, um, was going to be, you know, a lot of quipping and stuff. And instead, you know, he's, he's just, he's just there having a good time. He's just there. That's actually kind of my problem with him because, like... <laughs> Maybe I could forgive the movie for having the jokes it does, but they're not really jokes. They're just a character like Korg stating the obvious and thinking it's the same as making a joke. I mean, I didn't even get the impression that it was actually supposed to be making a joke. I just thought he was the Mr. Exposition. Yeah, but still, even then, if you have a character whose primary purpose is exposition, then if they're still around after the exposition has been told, then you have to give them something else to do. And they realized that they couldn't, so he, they made him just a face. <laughs> they sure... I mean, that that seems to kind of have been like what the, the structural point was there. <laughs> I know, I know. But another thing that just rubs me the wrong way is that Valkyrie can't have a queer love interest, but Korg can because of course the one gay character literally isn't human. Oh yeah, no, that, that is, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to, to bat for that one, but that's not, you know, a structural thing. That's more just like, come the fuck on <laughs> yeah definitely. although although i did and it hit me as i was walking out and i think i narrowed my eyes when i realized that his when i realized that his partner was named Dwayne, and he's made of rocks yes <laughs> <laughs> and he probably has a johnson <laughs> I would assume not, considering that they make babies by holding hands over lava. <laughs> I know, but I just had to get that joke out. See, oh, that was me telling you. Know, my my friend Jess um, has one of those Roombas that also that like that mop instead of vacuuming, and it's named uh, Dwayne the Mop Johnson. I that's just a fun fact that just out there for you in Radio Land. Ah. <laughs> uh... Now to talk about things that I actually liked about the movie. I liked... All right. Yeah. Um, I liked what they did with Jane. Um, I really liked how her relationship with Thor was explored and why she uh, broke up with him off screen in Ragnarok. And it really gives a sense of closure and understanding that she played a huge role in Thor's life while also doing her own thing in science and uh, really the only complaint I had about how their romance was depicted in, I would just, I could watch an entire Disney Plus series of shorts of Thor and Jane just doing, like, domestic rom-com activities. <laughs> like, I wanted to see their happier days montage include Thor and Jane just make repeat trips to Ikea, buy and install a bed frame, then come back and buy a new <laughs> one because they completely wrecked the one they had. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that would actually make a really great way of hinting at that. And I mean, especially because that is one thing that you could pass off totally innocently. No, no, no. It's because he's big and he keeps sitting down on it too hard. Exactly. 
Like it that would have that would have worked, especially considering that otherwise, you know what? This I as far as the main story goes, this is the first one where there's actually been an excuse that makes sense in the plot for these characters to not be having sex. Yeah, I mean I definitely think they did the Jane storyline justice, uh, but granted, like I'm kind of a unwillingly easy target for that because uh god uh this movie like knows how to piss me off and frustrate me but it also knows how to like directly tug at my heartstrings because (laughs) uh showing when jane uh was a girl her mom died of cancer i'm like oh fuck you movie fuck you because my mom died of cancer when i was 29 so like uh yeah it just i did think they did a really good job of like exploring like the fear and anger and like the road to like understanding what you need to do with the time you have left yeah well and also um just because I've, I've actually seen some, some criticism of this. I also think that on, uh, I think that this is one of the first times I've ever seen a character who, other than looking very ill, does not look like what we imagine a cancer patient to look like to actually indicate that it's worse than you think it is. Uh, so unlike Jane the comics, you mean? Yeah, well, because I was going to say that Jane in the comics had a much more prolonged illness. Um, She actually did lose her hair to chemotherapy and stuff, but it was over a long period of time. And, but also, you know, she was, she was Mighty Thor for a long period in the comics as well, because in that case, the reason that it was killing her, it wasn't because it was sapping her energy. It was because Mjolnir actually does have a health effect in the comics but the problem is is that it was purging her body of any toxins Mm. which meant that it was undoing the chemotherapy every single time Uh, um yeah i mean i actually i recently read a massive book basically about the history of pretty much of human awareness of cancer um, called uh, The Emperor of All Maladies. And it talked about how, you know, chemotherapy was originally discovered because people who were exposed to certain, you know, poisons, basically, in industrial settings still, you know, didn't tend to develop certain cancers fascinating and and realizing how that could be applied to treating it if you balanced it in a way where the suffering from the poison was enough to get rid of the greater lethal suffering of the cancer so that was it was a obviously as you can imagine it was a trial and error situation but as soon as they kicked it in it started showing results and so that was that was part of what was going on in the comics. And I guess in this case, they just, you know, by the time she finds out that she has it, it's already stage four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not to uh, not to digress too much, but yeah, uh, it's uh, my personal hope and wish that fifty. 40 or even 20 years from now, people will look back and see chemotherapy the same way we look at uh, using leeches on patients of like, oh my God, why would they think that would work? That's so, that's so medieval. How could they do such a thing? Because like, there's so much stuff better now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In In a lot of cases there are. And there are also, I mean, you know, for... For contrast, you know, my um, my paternal uh, grandma, basically they, they found, some, um, she, had a, she had a regular colonoscopy. They found some, uh, basically some precancerous patches of cells in there. So they, you know, they went in and they basically did, you know, as much of a sweep as they could. And then she had 
a couple of rounds. She had a couple of rounds of chemo, and the good news is is that now they can actually, uh, if they don't think you need a lot of it, you don't have to go through the entire. I mean, my my grandma never actually lost her hair; it thinned, but it was enough that you know she basically would just you know wear a cap for a while when she went out to wait for it to fill back in. Yeah, that my mom like, never went bald either. It's just like her hair definitely got uh, thinner and coarser and frizzier the way it hadn't had before. But right up until the end, she was still uh, more pepper than salt. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so they're definitely figuring out ways of making the whole situation less invasive. And I actually do think that that was some of what was being indicated in this, but there was also just the fact that they, they figured it out way too late to be able to do much about it, which, mm-hmm. which again, I, you know, I do appreciate that that was handled entirely seriously. You know, the scene where she ends up telling him that that's the case, you know, there was absolutely nothing to puncture it. And for that matter, you know what? For one thing, I, so wading into my personal field of discourse expertise, which is disability discourse, you know what, I, because for one thing, for one thing, I think that treating cancer like a regular disability, rhetorically speaking, is really boneheaded in a lot of ways people do that it oh my god it's a whole there was there was of all people like yes if you know who this is yes i am still dragging them in the year 2022 (laughs) and like okay sorry sorry let me let me dial this back i mean the thing is is that for a lot of people you know unfortunately it even if you do eventually go into remission, you know, sometimes cancer is enough of a recurring thing over a period of years that it functionally does become a severe chronic illness. And I understand that, but talking about it in general, as though it's something where like any particular disability trope can be applied to it and should be evaluated the same way is is bullshit. I, and, you know, I remember very specifically an author on Tumblr who had a policy that, that, you know, that she was never going to cure a disabled person in any of her work. Okay, fair enough. She also had a policy that all of her villains would be able-bodied and they would only be redeemable if they became disabled, which is, <laughs> we're not going to unpack that in this episode. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Uh, speaking as a disabled person as succinctly as I can on that topic. Punitively disabling a character to make a moral statement about them and presenting them as being sufficiently humbled by the experience. That really sucks unless you handle it appropriately. And I really don't expect this person to have handled it appropriately because... This also meant that there was a character with terminal cancer that she never intended to let pass away from it, but also intended to never let get better because that would fall under her policy of curing or killing a disabled character. Oh my God. No, honey. No. (laughs) Which is why seeing how it's done. I don't mind that Jane dies in this movie. Because she goes out as completely on her own terms as possible. It's, you know, it's it's a culmination of her wanting to do something with her life. And she gets into Valhalla for it. And right now she is up in the sky sipping Chardonnay with Frigga. Exactly. <laughs> and they are like, trading absolutely embarrassing stories about Thor. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, it... It's just, you know, I've seen people being like, oh, you know, oh, look at that. You know, they they went ahead and they killed another disabled character. And it's like, no, a character with stage four cancer passed away because she was a hero for reasons that had nothing to do with being, 
you know, presented as an inspirational cancer patient. Although, you know what? While we're on the subject, for for doing a storyline that well, it's just like, what the hell was the point of having Sif survive with her arm cut off and doing absolutely nothing for an internal exploration of that? It's like, that would be such a good storyline of basically her being like, a female space Viking, Jamie Lannister of like, I put my whole worth into my body. What do I do now? Well, if I can be completely cynical about this, that's probably what, and at least rumored SIF Disney plus series will partially cover. <laughs> and I know that Jamie Alexander has wanted to hook her up with beta Ray bill for years. <laughs> And you know what, to be honest, from what I remember of when Sif and Bill were a couple in the comics, they were really cute. God. Was she was putting, she she put she put Groucho glasses on him at one point to take him out to the mall and was teasing him about how she never knew that she was into bald men. What's interesting is I read that as far back as phase one, it was just quietly decided that Sif would always stick around in the MCU just in case they ever wanted to make uh, Thor uh, and her an official couple. I mean, that's that's entirely possible, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's why, and that might even be why they just brought her back, you know, kind of in reserve. But I just know that Jamie Alexander really wants to hook her up with Beta Ray. It's just so confusing to have, like, the last scene of, like, Valkyrie overseeing her kingdom and Sif training a new generation of warriors. And then the voice goes off in my head. I'm back in Hall H at Comic-Con. And I remember Tessa Thompson saying, Valkyrie is a king looking for her queen. And I'm like, hmm, connect the dots. See, that's that's also a thing. Look, I, I just, look. Literally, all I know on this subject is that apparently there was an idea for a Lady Sif series being kicked around because she does want to go back to the role when she has more schedule time for it, and that she just really wants her to hook up with Vader Ray Bill, <laughs> who I really need to emphasize in this context, if you guys don't know who Vader Ray Bill is, is he's somebody else who ends up becoming worthy of the hammer, but he's, he's also... Uh, big like horse skull face alien and his name is beta ray bill which is a great name for a horse alien i wish comics were still like that but you do realize megan that now that the multiverse is open a beta ray bill implies the existence of a chad ray bill (laughs) (laughs) are you sure it doesn't imply like a gamma ray bill this is getting ridiculous (laughs) No, um, it implies the existence. See. It implies the existence also of a VHS bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, if we've learned anything out of this, it's that it turns out that people who are really opposed to Silky have an even more flexible definition of incest than we thought, considering that a lot of them now think it's gross that Thor and Jane kiss because Jane's also a Thor now. Oh my god. I do love uh, how someone on Tumblr had, like, the clasped hands and cooperation meme, and one side was Thor, one was Loki, and what brought them together was <laughs> being in love with a woman who kind of physically resembles you. <laughs> Except Sylvie doesn't physically resemble him at all. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm kind of at a point now where I'm just like, I, I don't know how hard you could be missing the point of the Loki show if you tried. You know, how how bad do your, do your media literacy skills have to be? And like your ability to understand themes or anything like that. To look at a show where, you know... The villains at this point go, we're a vast bureaucracy of literally brainwashed suits and cops who regularly destroy entire universes in the name of conformity. And we say that these two are the same exact person. And we've been trying to kill one of them since she was a little kid because she's not actually the same person as him. 
and so and to just sit there as a viewer and be like they are the same person and it's icky when they kiss <laughs> uh well since we're on the subject loki season two has now officially begun filming and i hope they release more and more behind the scenes footage because i am loving what i'm seeing so far <laughs> God damn it. That took me a second. <laughs> oh fuck, I did I swear to God, I didn't even mean to make that reference. <laughs> I I assumed that, that I assumed you did, and that was why. Oh my god. No, no. If I meant to, I would have said ba da ba ba ba. No, I would have well uh for those of you who are only barely following along um there is sylvie or a woman who looks like sylvie or a variant of a variant sylvie is working at a mcdonald's in 1974 and i uh as soon as i saw the photos i'm like oh my god there are going to be so many as soon as I saw the photos, I'm like, there's going to be a dozen women who just spend all of this money they were saving up towards paying off their student loans on eBay to get a 1970s McDonald's uniform. <laughs> I still think my favorite bit of the fallout of this has been that comic that you sent me that's just, you know... <laughs> They're, they're drawn basically as like, you know, like little chibis almost of, you know, hi, welcome McDonald's. How can I help? And he's just like staring up at her, clinging to the counter, giving her the biggest puppy eyes in the world. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. And then it, they just stare at each other. And then in the last panel, there's an equally chibi Ronald <laughs> McDonald that's come between the two of them. who's just smiling at her and saying, get back to work. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> it really is the perfect punchline. Uh, but it does uh, open up a whole lot of questions because I was uh, texting you this uh, last week, but if this is indeed the Sylvie that we know and love, it makes zero sense because if I had just completed my mission I dedicated my life to at the cost of losing the only person who truly understands me... You know what the last thing I want to do is next? Get a job of fucking minimum wage. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it was the 70s. You could you could run a one-bedroom apartment working at McDonald's. Oh my god, that's depressing. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, this does raise a very interesting uh, point I'd like to bring up. Uh, I've actually had a theory uh, for Sylvie's arc in season two that uh, I just want to say right now, in case I actually might call it, in which case the writers owe me. Uh, but I have a theory that now that the multiverse is officially open and spreading further and further out across the universe, it's now possible that there could be variants of variants. And I think Oh it, absolutely. And I yeah. think it would be such a rich story idea for Sylvie to come across with a variant of herself that actually got to have a happy childhood and live as the princess of Asgard and she sees everything that was taken from her, all of the innocence and the optimism and the life she should have had. And it would just be so great to see not only Sofia Martino acting opposite herself, much like Tom did in season one, but to have that really be like the root of her journey of like her, uh, basically, uh, understanding who she is in a sort of like variant therapy session and it'll probably end with uh her princess variant deciding to sacrifice herself for going out with a bang to save sylvie as a sort of like metaphor of uh 
like the uh, hurt, traumatized you still deserves to be here, especially now that they've made peace with like uh, the sort of like the version of themselves that couldn't really exist anymore. That would make sense, yeah. Although honestly, I'm I'm still waiting for some kind of like massive twist about the family she was raised by or something. Like I I still think that it would. I mean, wouldn't it just? Can you imagine how much it how much turmoil it would cause in the fandom and how much it would change the show if it turned out that she has different parents altogether. And she was adopted by Laufey, King of Asgard. Oh, yeah. A lot of fans have been speculating that. Like, I keep thinking about that, considering that there still seems to be some inconsistency about what the hell his last name is. So I'm just thinking that, like, for it to be... And and also, you know, the loaded implication of, you know, oh, I knew I was a frost giant. Or, or at least that she knew she was adopted. Actually, come to think of it, she says she knew she was adopted. She never says she knew she was a frost giant. Yeah, and she... Maybe, maybe she knew very specifically that she wasn't a frost giant, but she was okay with that. And in all of the merchandise that has her full name, it is Sylvie Laufey daughter. Yeah, whereas with, with Loki, that was what I was saying, is they still can't seem to decide which one is his actual last name. You know, for a second there, Megan, I thought you were going to have, like, the cane of all plot twists be, what if Sylvie's father was Beta Ray Bill? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I don't even know what to say after that one. Uh, Well, as we are recording this, I am in the final countdown mode of prepping for San Diego Comic-Con, my first one since uh, 2019, Uh, and I am going to be cosplaying as Jane as the Mighty Thor, so uh, look out for me if I see you in San Diego. I'll be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not doing anything. Well, I will make the most of my trip by uh, being a shameless plug for this show and passing out uh, business cards to anyone who's curious enough. (laughs) I will leave you with the non sequitur observation made by Twitter user ColorMeLovely that the Benefer saga thus concluded is a better adaptation of Persuasion and the Persuasion movie that's on Netflix now. Oh my fucking god. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to sleep peacefully tonight, Megan. You ruined that. You know that. (laughs) 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 (laughs)